Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté que la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks for, uh, for worshiping with us. Uh, and I, I often think that uh, in times like these, we're reminded of how uh, challenging it can feel to try to worship when we're not sensing that. You know, this week I had a reminder when we were getting updates about what's going on with church stuff, and uh, I was just so frustrated and sad. And I realized for the first time why the Bible says that to be joyful is a commandment. Because oftentimes we're not going to feel our way towards being joyful. We're almost commanded in the Bible to be joyful and to remember that our circumstance does not get to define what God is doing around us. So if you're watching online, I just want to say uh, that uh, we're, we're really grateful to connect with you like this, but especially if you can't join us in person in the, in the weeks to come, how much we miss you and how much we understand how challenging that is. And for many of you who are giving, You're giving financially, you're giving of your resources. You allow us to continue to stay connected with people in that way. In a, in a, in a powerful way, there's people who connect with us online who, who can't even come to church or, or in this province. So we want, to, we want to say thank you to you for helping us be the church in this very difficult time. Let's just pray and ask God to help us this morning as we learn. Father, you are uh, so good. We understand that, but uh, this week and these, these weeks that have passed have been hard for us to feel the benefits of that goodness. <clears throat> As humans, we are so tempted to feel the pressures around us change how we feel and what we believe. And, and so we ask you that you would help us. As we re-enter that Christmas story, as we open up the scriptures and we listen again, we pray, Holy Spirit, Would you open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear something we did not notice? And most of all, that we would believe in a new way that God loves us. Help us today as we learn. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat, everyone, and uh, thanks for doing that. Can we thank our team? They were here early practicing and preparing and uh, really grateful for them. Uh, we, we've actually been in a series uh, on the theme of Advent, and, and this is very weird for me. I don't know if it's weird for you, but like it's not Christmas yet, and Jasmine mentioned this already, but we're already talking like, hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, you know, and, and so it's kind of like we're caught between these seasons, and also today some of our older kids are in our gathering with us, and it's very special for us. There's very few things that our kids see us do that they should emulate. I think of so many things in my life that I do that I hope my kids never do, You know, and then there's other things that I do that I hope my kids do do. And worshiping Jesus and learning to worship is one of those. And sometimes we need to model that and practice that. But this morning I want to take some time as we're together to help us think about what it means that we're moving out of Advent towards what it means that we celebrate Christmas. Not just the way we would think like the world. Dave, I'll just ask for the table quickly. Okay. And uh, 
meant to know. I'll need that in a second. Uh, but, but not that we just can say Merry Christmas, which is fine, but that we believe in the meaning of Christmas. This is very, very different. A lot of people I meet say Merry Christmas, and I know a lot of people say, you know, uh, or Happy Holidays. Thanks, bro. But, but there's something about saying we believe in the meaning of Christmas that's very, very different. And I know people, you know people, who don't believe that. You know, let's just be honest. There's some people that maybe you even invited to church, or you're like, hey, I hope you maybe one day believe in, in Christmas. But they're just not there yet. They're just struggling to believe. And one of the things that people who are struggling to believe in Christmas, what will often happen at this time of year is they might visit a church. They might just show up in a service. You know, I've been pastor for a long time, and every so often at Christmas time, I will meet somebody who will say, hey, I'm not into church, but I came because my girlfriend's here. Or I came because my in-laws are annoying. Or I came because, you know, you have a good excuse, whatever you use. I just came because, like, whatever, I just, somebody asked me, and I, I don't want to hear from them anymore, Right? And so when that happens, you can almost miss how Christmas is meant to be kind of moved towards because it feels like Christmas is just a day or a service or something. So I want to tell you how important it is that you remember that if you do that, Christmas is like watching a movie in the middle of the movie. Okay? If you've never done that in your life, right? You never like start a movie and say, let's just start right at the middle. You want to know like the, the beginning and as we move towards it. And so Advent is that season that prepares us to feel the meaning of Christmas in the right way. And I want to show you something that happened to me this week. It's a gift. It's a gift I have here, and it's going to help you understand this. This is a gift. How many of you think you can guess what's in this gift? Okay. Anyone want to try? Nothing. And nothing. Nothing. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. No, nothing. No, but there's something in here that none of you are likely going to get this Christmas. None of you are going to get this, but you all have one. And I thought about it this week because it was a gift to my family that we had one. And this is something that happened a few weeks ago, and I put it in a box, and I thought, I'm going to use this in a sermon. And this is the gift. This is a smoke detector, okay? This is a smoke detector from my house, okay? And a few months ago, in the middle of the night, I think it was about 2 a.m., I heard a beep that woke me up, and all of our family woke up, and it started to beep. And I was like, what is that sound? And some of you know me. I'm really bad at house thingies, you know? I'm like, I don't know. Somebody's kidnapping my kids. I have no idea what that beep is, right? And I went, and it's flashing red, and I'm like, why is that? And, And I did what all of you would do. I just tapped it like this. Any of you do that? Don't laugh at me, all you judgmental people. I know all of you online. I tapped it, and then I didn't. I blew in it. I was like, that's what I did. And then guess what I did next? I went to bed. That's what I did. Because it stopped. I was like, this is great. I love devices. It went to bed, and I went to bed, and so I forgot about it. And then next thing happened is a few weeks later, it went on again in the middle of the night and started beeping longer. And I was like, what is going on? And I realized from asking some people and looking it up on YouTube, that when a smoke detector's battery starts to go low, it starts to periodically start to beep as a warning that you should change the battery. And I ignored that warning. I just thought it doesn't matter. It's not important to me. I don't really care if you tap these and you blow on it, it goes away, push the button, whatever. And I realized that this is such an important warning that's meant to save our lives. And how easy it is that we, like, ignore those things. Like, we don't care. Or, like, it's so inconvenient. Like, I'm tired. I don't have time to do any of this. I thought of the smoke detector, and I thought of how important it is that it helps us understand what's been happening to us before we get to Christmas. That God sent someone named John to warn us to be ready for what God is going to do at Christmas. And I know many people who just don't care. They ignore those warnings. 
They don't prepare. They don't slow down. They don't reflect. They don't wonder. They're just like, I'm going to believe what I believed before today, and I'm not, I'm not, not going to believe in God, and I'm not going to believe in Christmas. And so all of us are left in this world where we get a chance to either prepare and be open to God's warning to say, there's some things I'm going to show you now that you need to pay attention to. There are things that you would maybe want to even ignore, but you shouldn't ignore them. And as we move towards Christmas, there's this moment where we realize that God is preparing his people to hear and to say yes to the ways of God that are coming through Jesus. This is what God has in store for all of us. Every Christmas, we get a chance to ask ourselves whether we're ready for the ways of God to come alive in our lives because of what Jesus comes to do. Now, I think of many people as they struggle to believe and they're not sure. I, I think of them because I often think about many people when they struggle, they never read the Bible. And there's a, actually a book in the Bible that I always encourage people to read around the Christmas time because it would help them if they don't believe. It would help them if they're not sure. And if you've never read this book or you're still like growing in your faith, which you should be, I always encourage people to begin with the Gospel of Luke because Luke tells us about he, how he was thinking about all the questions that he had about Jesus and about Jesus' life. And if, if you have a Bible or you're online, you're watching online, you can follow along. In Luke's gospel, this is what we're told right at the beginning of the story of Luke. Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from, who from the first were, eye, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. The word, by the way, is a title for Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke says, listen, I had a lot of questions about God, and I wasn't sure what I believed. So you know what I did? I kind of started to look into this to figure out what is it about God and Jesus that we should believe. Now, if you know people who don't believe in God, this is really, really important to remind them that people in the Christmas story were not just Christians. They didn't just were raised in a church. They didn't like sing carol, Christmas carols. They were all trying to investigate, like, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What is God doing right now? What is this about? And Luke uses this profound word. I love this word because this year I thought about it in a way I never thought about it before. He says, I started to investigate. Have you ever, like, investigate? This, this week I thought about this because so many people said to me, you know, we're living in a time because of COVID where people are searching and investigating what's the truth about vaccines, what's the truth about COVID, right? And so the word investigate jumped to the service for me. Like, I wonder how many people, if we took as much energy in investigating vaccines and COVID, that if the same amount of energy was put into investigating who Jesus really was, how many people would realize, I got to rethink this Jesus guy. This is big stuff. Luke uses this word and he says, I started to investigate certain things. Think about what Luke found as he investigated. He found people who believed in all kinds of gods. He found people who believed in, you know, weird practices that if they did certain things, God would bless them, and if they did other things, God would punish them. Luke found a lot of things. If Luke was investigating the story of Jesus today, he would find a lot of strange things as well. Just think about what he would find with people that you know, a coworker, a family member. If, if Luke met them and said, hey, what, have you ever heard about Jesus? Like, do you believe in him? What would Luke find? Well, if you read my, my little book that I wrote, there's a quote in there that I found about what people believe about Christmas at this time. And you'll see it on the screen. It's a quote. It says this. That two out of five millennials, age 25 to 40, are unaware that the baby in the nativity story is Jesus. And some even believe Father Christmas, which is the British uh, word for Santa, was linked to the virgin birth in Bethlehem. Like if Luke was investigating Jesus today, he would find this. 
he would find people who believed that somehow Santa and the virgin birth are connected. And I think of all the different things that people would believe. They would wonder about, like, what's going on. And so you think about for you, what helped you move to a place where you realized there's something about this Jesus that I need to pay attention to? There's something about the message of Jesus that I should, you know, move towards and reflect on and investigate just a little bit deeper. If you're taking notes and you want to remember something, remember that Luke is Greek. It's a Greek name. That means Luke has to figure out how the story of a Jewish rabbi applies to him as a Greek man. He has to do the hard work of figuring out, how does this even apply to me? And I often, when I was young and I was learning about church, I thought, how does this have anything to do with me? I'm not Jewish. I don't believe the people of Israel. I don't go to, I'm not from Israel. Well, how does this even mean anything? So it took time for Luke to investigate, what is it about this Jesus? And, and Luke tells us he's doing it because someone else asked him for help. So if you have time this week, maybe you want to make time, read the beginning of Luke's gospel. As Luke says, I was investigating certain things, and I realized certain things that were kind of hard to understand. And maybe for you, you'll realize there are things that in your life still need time to reflect on as you pay attention to the things that Jesus is saying to you. Come. Come now and trust me with everything that you are. You know, as, as Luke was investigating, one of the things he would have realized is that in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of titles that were given to the new baby who was going to be born. And here are some of the titles. Like, take a look at them. You'll see them on the screen. If you're listening on a podcast, I'll just read them in a second so you can hear them. These are some of the titles, and just think about how many of these you know. If somebody mentioned them to you, you would know what they mean. One of the titles for this new baby is that he's the son of David, which is kind of weird because I thought he was the son of Joseph. So I'm already confused. Usually you just close your Bible and you go watch something else on TV, right? So there's one title. Then there's the title of the Messiah or the Christ. Confession moment. Ready for this? When I was young, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. Some of you maybe still believe that. It's not. Jesus is the son of Joseph who's from Nazareth. Christ is a title. It means the same thing that the word Messiah means, which means anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. That's what it means. That was one of his titles. He's going to be the anointed one. He's the son of man. Strange title. Again, if you read that little book that I wrote, I kind of talk a little bit about these titles. He's going to be a king. And he's going to be the son of God. These are all these titles that Luke, as he's investigating, if you read about Jesus, you're going to see these titles. And they're meant to draw you into a story that has been taking place for a long time. Out of all of these titles, there's one title, which is the last one, that someone else had already. This is something that very few people understand, and many people, I think, even are Christians, they've gone to church for a long time, they don't realize. You ever happen to you, like, you're online, and you're trying to put something in, and it says to you at the bottom, Some, this is already in use. You ever get that? Or you try to use a password, and you're like, you already used this password, don't use it again. How many of you are those people? I honestly, I'm horrible. Like, I forget my passwords all the time, you know. I'm trying to put the names of my kids backwards with numbers. I'm like, this is going to be so good, nobody's going to get it. I'm like, I'm never going to remember it. It's ridiculous. The Son of God was a title that was in use by the Emperor of Rome. Luke actually tells us important, right at the beginning of his investigation, that this is what he tells us when Jesus was born. He tells us about him. It says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. Caesar Augustus is a title for the Emperor of Rome when Jesus was born. 
If you want to remember anything about Christmas, just think about the most powerful person you can think of right now. Just think of that person in the world. Multiply that by a thousand, and then you'll understand the power of the emperor of Rome. Okay? Like this was a time that would have been brutal for somebody to enter the world and to claim that this new baby, he's the son of God in a world where there's already one who's called the son of God. The ancient Romans called Caesar Augustus the son of God. They believed that he was the one who was going to help people. And at this moment in the story, Luke tells us as part of his investigation that Mary and Joseph have to do something that Caesar Augustus decided they're going to do. And I'm thinking, they should buck the system and not do it. They should do what they want. But they don't. They're like, we're going to have to go to our hometown. Mary, if you want to think about this, probably very further along in pregnancy. I remember a little bit about my wife being pregnant, and let's be clear, I know nothing about what it feels to be pregnant. For the record, okay, please? I do not know. But I remember a little bit of how hard it was. And imagine Joseph telling Mary, I just got word in the community, we got we to gotta go to our hometown. We got to register some stuff. If there's one place Mary and Joseph did not want to go to, was their hometown. Mary probably was thinking of all the judgmental things people were going to say about her. All the things they had already been saying about her, like, how did you get pregnant? Like, is Joseph the father of this baby? Like, I, we heard stories. Like, you said something about an angel saw you. Is that true, Mary? Is that true? Being back in your hometown is not something that for Mary and Joseph would have been like, it's going to be great. All of the annoying people, you know annoying people in your life? Think about them for a minute. Some of you need longer than a minute, but whatever. They, Mary and Joseph would have been like, our hometown. They have to go there. Because the emperor of Rome has decided that this is what's going to happen during this time period. Scholars are very, you know, interested about this because it has to do, this is a, a type of thing that involves economics. Like, who's working if everybody's going to their hometowns? Like, how is this happening? So there's all kinds of research done on these kinds of things in the Bible. And Luke is doing what? Luke is investigating this. As scholars have investigated the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, they have found that the year was roughly like 1850. You know, they found an inscription talking a little bit about the emperor of Rome that for years was, was unknown. We just knew a, lot, a little bit about it. And I have a little clip of it for you so you can see it. It's an inscription called the Preen Calendar Inscription. This is what it says. This inscription says, The providence, which is the ancient word for the energy of the world and the forces of the world, like, I mean, the forces, have ordained that the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it Caesar Augustus, by sending in him a savior for us. This is one of the first times outside of the Bible that we actually see how clearly in the ancient world people said, hey, hey, in the emperor is a savior for the world. He will make our lives better. He will help us live lives that are filled with peace. And the Romans were so good at this. They had the best marketers in the world. They actually would start to use language of the Pax Romana, which is an ancient word meaning the peace of Rome. If you believe in the emperor, you will experience the peace of the empire. Can you imagine that Luke will find out that from the, from the, the time of the prophets, when Jesus comes, he will be the real son of God. In a world where there were so many others claiming that they were the way to peace and to hope. Doesn't sound that different to me. That we still live in a world where people are looking for so many other things to find peace and hope and meaning. Just like in that first Christmas. 
Well, people saw this. They had the option. Just worship the emperor. Everything will be fine. This is one thing maybe I want you to think about that you didn't think about. That for thousands of years, from the beginning of the Roman Empire, this inscription is probably from 4 BC, so it's a long time ago. There was people just like you and me wondering who is going to save us from this broken world. Think about this. Before even Jesus is born, there's people who look at the world and realize something is wrong with it and someone should save us. They're not sure what to do with Jesus, but they're hoping that the emperor will save them. And you think about this, that to this day, we still have people wonder, what is wrong with this world? And where will a savior come from? What will saving look like? The Romans had a very clear plan for what saving the world looked like. Saving the world looked like conquest. If you save the world, you conquer the world. That's how you save it. Other rulers and other people believe, you know, you know how you save the world? By controlling the world. Like if you were in charge of saving the world, how would you save it? How many of you would be like, well, we got we to gotta teach people certain things and more education. We all have a paradigm in our minds that someone has given to us about what it means to save our broken world. And if you didn't have one yet, you had one after this week. Because just talk to a few people and everybody knows what we should do to fix the world. I meet people who know what we should do with the government, with the vaccines. With the, we just know. We have something in us that's meant to force us to feel like something is messed up and someone should fix it. And in the midst of all of these options and all of these other things, God says to us at Christmas that the way the world is saved is because God says, I so loved the world. Can you imagine how radical that would be? Like if you're in the ancient world and you're like, you think the world will be a better place if we just love each other? Christians are like, yeah. The most essential thing about Christmas is that God says, for I so loved the world that I sent my son to you. What do you love about the world? You look around the world, what do you love? What do you think God loved about the world as he looked at it? He looked at the world and he says, Jesus, it's time now. Jesus is about to enter our space and time and aging and all the things that make us human. And they would have said, we're going to show them what it means to love each other because that will change the world. Are you ready this year to practice what it means to love the way God has loved us? Are you ready? That means you're going to have to learn to get along with people you disagree with. That means you're going to have to listen to people that say things that you're just not sure if they're like on the same page. This Christmas, can we agree that from the beginning of Christmas, there were all kinds of options for what people thought would fix the world. And at Christmas, Christians will say, love is the way that the world has changed. A special kind of love that transforms us into different kinds of people. And imagine how mind-blowing this is that into the New Testament, that Paul will write to Christians and will say, you be imitators of God. That means you and I need to learn to love the world. This week was rough. I mean, I was like, I don't know if I could, I'm listening to press conferences. I'm like, sports is being canceled. I'm like, I can't lie. I don't even know, what, what is there to love? Some of you I know, you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe just my pet. I love my pet. If you're pet people, I can't even handle it. Okay, I can't even. Yeah. No, we look for things to love. Like, we're like, just, I just need one thing to hold on to. I love this. God looked at this broken world and said, I love you. Not because we were perfect, not because we were in full of sin, not because there was an emperor thinking that he was God. God says, now it's time. 
they will see a special kind of love. And we're told that the next thing that happens in the story changes everything. This is what happens. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. Remember, one of the titles is Son of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I mean, this is so profound because in this moment, we have all the pieces of the titles are tied together. We have David, who's the anointed king of Israel. Jesus comes in the line of a new anointed king of Israel. We have all the times when God was faithful to David. He's now going to demonstrate his faithfulness again now as Jesus comes. And all of these things are coming together as Luke investigates what all of this means. What it might mean for him to go from believing all these ideas as a Greek man, as a Greek child, to say, there's something about Jesus that changes everything. There's something about what God does now that requires all of us to reconsider what we believe and how we will live because of those beliefs. This is the part where all Christmas rises and falls, right here. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room for them, available for them. Right here is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible that makes Christianity different from every other religion. When people don't learn this, they soon start to believe that all religions are the same. It would have been the most wacky, radical idea to claim that God, the creator of the universe, had come in the form of a child, and in, through that child, he will demonstrate how God so loved the world. In the ancient world, people would have laughed all the way to the bar after three beers to that idea. They would have been like, are you kidding me? That is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. And for thousands of years, Christians have said, we know. It sounds just as crazy to us, but it was true. That was it. This is the moment where if you know anything about Christian teachings or anything about what you believe as a Christian is the idea of the incarnation. That there's this moment where the mysteries of the world, the mysteries of time and space, all are held together and we're left with like, wow, that God would do this for us. That God would do this for you. That God would do this for a world that we can't even find one good thing in it to love. God says, watch now. Watch that this is how things are going to be changed as you pay attention to what I'm doing in my son. I want to ra wrap up and uh, I'm going to invite just Sebastian maybe to come on the keyboard. But uh, one of the things that I, I think when I was growing up, I, I grew up in church for a little while and then I left church and then I wasn't sure what I believed anymore and then I thought I'm going to be an atheist. Then I wanted to be a Buddhist and then I, I'm a pastor right now. <laughs> And all these paths in my life, I wondered about, like, how am I going to make sense of all of this? And when I was really, really young, I often went to church. And whenever we talked about this, and I remember whenever Christmas came around, we always learned about, like, this idea of, like, there was no room in the inn. And I remember years ago, I was impacted by somebody who said, you know what this really means? That, you know what, sometimes in our life, we don't make room in our hearts for the Lord. And so he's trying to get in, and then we don't make room for him. And that means, you know, you're not accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard something like that. And when that happens, I think we misunderstand all of the story of Christmas because this passage is about something so much 
deeper. And if you're still with me, you're at home, I want to explain something just for two minutes to go just a little bit deeper. That in Luke's gospel, it's really important that we understand that the guest inn is actually a room in people's houses where when a house was full, it was like on the side of a house, almost like a shed, okay? And Mary and Joseph were, would be in this shed. And Luke tells us that there's no room for Jesus in this community. There's no room for Mary and Joseph because they couldn't find room in this guest room. The guest room, the word for guest room is kataluma, okay? It's a Greek word. The word is kataluma. It's a word that means a guest room, full. And so if you have an idea in your head of Jesus like petting a cow or all the animals with the halos, you ever see that painting? All the animals have halos around there. Just if you have that at your house, throw in the garbage, okay? But the idea is that this word is meant to help us understand that there's something about the beginning of the life of Jesus that's going to be connected to the end of the life of Jesus. Because Luke will use this word one other time in all of his gospels. And every Christmas, I feel the weight of us missing this when we turn Christmas into like, accept Jesus in your heart, make room, have a good time, see you next year at Christmas. No, 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 no. You can't get away with that if you read Luke because Luke is investigating something. And Luke wants us to know something about this Jesus at the beginning and at the end. I'm going to read for you the next time that Luke uses the word guest room, cataluma, in his gospel. It says this. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go, and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the Cataluma? Where is the guest room? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Some translation said, all prepared for you. You need to understand this about Christmas. That if we really understand what Luke is trying to teach us and what the Bible's about, is that even when we did not make room for Jesus, he was preparing a room for us. That is how Luke holds all of the Christmas story together. It's not enough for you to just hear someone say to you, oh, accept Jesus in your heart and make room. Because so many people hear that and they do nothing with their lives. They come to the altar, they sign a card, they're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and then they go on living their lives however the heck they want till next Christmas. Not this year. Just have the guts to say, if you don't believe in Christmas, that you're not a Christian. Or that there's something about the story that you need to investigate and think about. Thank you, Ruby. Amen. <laughs> Children are prophesying in our church. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus says, go, I've prepared a guest room. Everybody would have known. Wait a second. When this started, there was no guest room for him. And now he's the one preparing guest rooms for us. It's exactly what it's about. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that you get honest and you tell yourself, quietly in your hearts or maybe with a family member, to just admit that maybe you have not made room for God. You have not made room for God. And God looked down on a people that did not make room for him. And he said, I love you anyway. Watch this now. Watch this. I will make room now. I will make room at this meal. I will make room for you to understand. And I will make room for you in heaven as Jesus prepares for the Passover meal with his disciples. Cataluma, two times in Luke. The one who's investigating Christmas for us. 
the good news of Christmas is that in a world filled with other gods, other people claiming to be the sons of God, other options for how to fix the world, we as Christians forever affirm that God looked at this world and said, I love it. And even when they could not receive that love, I entered it and began to prepare for them when they did not prepare for me. This is what it means to say Merry Christmas. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to close. And if you're watching online, we're, uh, we're grateful for a chance to come into your home, your car, wherever you're listening from. I want to give you a chance to maybe think about what Luke's investigation of the story means for us. I thought about this this week, and I thought about if somebody had invited me to their house for Christmas this year. And they called me and they said, hey, we want to have you over. And they prepared for us to go over. They prepared a meal. They prepared, and I called and said, you know what? We're not coming. We're not coming. It's busy. I'm tired. All the things I would say to not show up. I thought about how that family would feel. Right? Offended. Upset. I thought about all the feelings. And I was wrestling with that in a world where God says, I loved you so much and I've prepared. And many of you will say, we're not coming. We're too busy. We're not coming to what you prepared for us. We're going to do it our own way. We have our own ways. We're going to follow some other things, Jesus. That maybe this year Jesus wants us to feel what it's like that he's prepared. He's prepared to receive us and to welcome us and to show us what it means not only that he loved the world, but that we are able to love this world. That we are able to enter into places of darkness and pain and suffering and model a kind of love that will change the world. He taught us how to do that. As we pray this morning, pray that in the next few days, you'll just think about the times where maybe you feel God saying, hey, hey, model love here. This is really the heart of what Christmas is about. I did it for you, now do it for others. Let's just pray. Father, we're so grateful that by your Holy Spirit, we have the gift of Luke's gospel. We have the gift of Luke's questions and investigation. And it draws in us questions that help us to understand what it means that you are the one who's been preparing for us. That we, with our busy lives and our schedules and our concerns and our questions, I've maybe even wanted to slow down, but we don't know how. We've wanted to be joyful, but we're not sure how. We've wanted to experience your peace, but we've opted for worrying that this Christmas, even when we were not able to prepare, we would be reminded again that you were preparing for us. We thank you how Luke helps us to see that and that we would not let another Christmas go by by just holding on to the festivities of a tradition without slowing down enough to investigate how you're calling us to prepare and to welcome your invitation. I pray for those who maybe are listening, who are here, who are on a podcast, who maybe have never understood the meaning of welcoming you into their lives. The transformation that can happen when we surrender 
to your ways, the true Son of God in a world full of gods. Help us this Christmas as we move closer to a time with family and friends and reflecting on all of the restrictions and the challenges that you are preparing to teach us and to help us to experience your love in a new way this year. Help us as we go through seasons of discouragement and sadness. By your spirit, give us the strength we need to also be those who model this kind of love for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, friends, we thank you for uh, coming to the first service. It it helps us with uh, scheduling and with COVID protocol, and we're really, really grateful. We're going to ask you to put your masks back on. Just carefully make your way out. And, and, you know, you can talk, but just move as you talk because we really need to prepare this room for our second gathering. We're going to spray it and get it ready. Merry Christmas to all of you from our leadership. And remember, YouTube, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we have a link for you. Just a little teaching for you and your family. God bless you all. Merry Christmas.